Exodus chapter 6. So I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to read through verse 13, then I'm going to skip uh, the middle section, which is a list of genealogies. Not that it's not important. There's nothing in the Bible that is not important. God puts everything in there for a reason. But specific to our message today, I'm going to concentrate on the first 13 verses and then the last three. All right, let's read together. Genesis, I mean, Exodus chapter 6. Follow as I read. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. And by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of, the, of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord." So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Moses spoke before the Lord saying, the children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips." Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Verse 28. And it came to pass on the day that the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you, but Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh heed me? So as we come into chapter 6, remember we left chapter 5, and we left with Moses asking this question of God. Remember, Moses goes to Pharaoh just as God told him to. He tells Pharaoh everything God tells him uh, had commanded. He is expecting, obviously, Pharaoh to listen, even though God had warned Moses that Pharaoh's heart was hard and that God would harden it even more. And Pharaoh's response was not, sure, I'll let the people go. Pharaoh's response was, I think the people have too much time on their hands dreaming up all these things that they want to do, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make them 
produce the same number of bricks, but I'm not going to give them straw anymore. They're going to have to go produce and gather their own straw and still produce the same number of bricks, which in reality was virtually impossible. And Pharaoh knew that it was. So Pharaoh increased the bondage and increased the burden upon the people. And the people responded, as you might expect, how, how are we going to do this? And Pharaoh is beating them and being cruel to them. And they go to Pharaoh and they say, it's not our fault. We can't produce the right number of bricks because you're not giving us straw anymore. And Pharaoh says, too bad. You guys had too much time. You're idle, idle, idle. Go and produce the same number of bricks. And so when they leave the presence of Pharaoh, they meet Moses and Aaron. And the response of the children of Israel was, look what you've done to us now, Moses. You came to deliver us, but you've just made life even more hard than we could have imagined. And Moses, now discouraged because he's just increased the bondage upon the children of Israel, the very people he's supposed to deliver, he's just made life worse for them. So what does Moses do? He leaves the presence of the children of Israel. He goes back to God and he says to God, God, why have you brought this hardship upon the people and why have you sent me that was where we left chapter five now here is the response of the lord and you've noticed that god does not answer the question of moses but god makes a declaration of what shall be done god it says then the lord said to moses in response to his question why god says now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of the land. God responds by declaring that Moses will now see what God will do, and that Pharaoh will, with a strong hand, let the people go. Not only will he let them go, but he will drive them out of the land. And then in verse 2, And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. God again declares his name to Moses. Now, we might think that God didn't answer Moses' question, but in reality, God did answer the question of Moses. God might not have given to Moses the answer Moses was looking for, because remember, what was Moses' question? Why, God? And God didn't tell Moses why. God told Moses who. More important than God declaring what he would do, or why he would do it, God declared who he is. God understood the most important thing for Moses to know was not why, but who. God understood that all things hinged on Moses knowing who is God. Remember, this was Pharaoh's question. Who is God that I should obey him? And we see that God repeatedly, as he's dealing with Moses, is declaring his name to Moses. And Moses is asking God, why God? 
Why have you increased the hardship of the people? Why have you sent me, God? It seems like I'm not being effective at all. And God is ignoring that question and not giving to Moses the answer that Moses is looking for. And instead, Moses is receiving what he needs to know, not what he wants to know. Oftentimes, we ask God the things we want to know, and God doesn't respond with what we want to know. And we think God's not hearing us. God doesn't care about us. But God knows better than we know, and God doesn't always give us what we want to know, but he always gives us what we need to know. And Moses didn't really need to know why. Moses needed to know who had sent him. Moses needed to know who God is. Because God understood that everything Moses was facing and everything Moses was going to face that he didn't even have a clue of yet would hinge on this reality of Moses knowing God. This is absolutely true of every one of us. Knowing God, knowing who God is, is most important for our life. Unless we know who God is, no other questions really matter. Now, they may matter to us. We may want to know the answers to them, but the reality is this. If we do not know who God is, nothing else really matters. When we know who God is, our questions become less important than knowing him. And as we grow in our knowledge of the Lord, our questions begin to take care of themselves. And all things begin to fall in their place under the knowledge of who he is. The answer to Moses' question concerning why will become apparent later when Moses encounters the rebellion of the children of Israel. And we're going to see this as we work through Exodus, that the whining and the complaining and the longing for the children of Israel to go back to Egypt. Now you consider where we are right here leaving chapter 5, going into chapter 6, and their bondage has just increased, and they're angry at Moses, and they're angry at everybody, and they don't see how they can stand under this cruel bondage and this oppression. Yet we see in just a matter of weeks, huh, days, they get back they leave Egypt, they go into the wilderness, and, and then they're complaining, and they're saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? We should just go back to Egypt. We were better off in Egypt than we are now. When Moses begins to encounter that rebellion of the children of Israel, he's going to understand why God did what he did. Because you'll notice that what God says in Exodus 6.1 is that he will cause Pharaoh to drive them out with a strong hand. He's not going to just let them go. He's going to force them to go. So it's whether you want to go or not, children of Israel, you are leaving Egypt because. And God knew that is exactly what needed to happen. Because Moses will realize how difficult it would have been for them to simply pick up and leave Egypt apart from divine intervention. It was Moses knowing who God is that kept him and sustained him through all of those trials. Consistent with all sinful human nature, the Israelites had become 
comfortable in their bondage. The predictability of a life of bondage in Egypt under Pharaoh became more preferred than the unpredictability of a life of faith in the wilderness under Moses and God. And Israel would not go willingly, so God used the hardness of Pharaoh's heart to afflict them and with, with a strong hand let them go and drive them out of Egypt. We see the very same things oftentimes in our lives. That through situations and circumstances that are not of our choosing, and we don't even realize what God is doing, but God is propelling us into his plan and into his purpose in ways that seem cruel, ways that seem foreign, ways that seem less than godlike. It's like, what in the world is happening? But God knows where we must be, and he uses whatever means he chooses to get us there. With the children of Israel, God knew that unless the affliction in Egypt was so hard, so horrible for them, unless it became so unbearable, not only for the children of Israel, but also for Pharaoh, that was the way that God would cause them to be driven out of the land so that they could enter into his promise. So we see this is true not only with Moses, but it is true for us. More than knowing why, we need to know who. We need to know that he is the Lord. And in those times and in those circumstances that do not make sense to us, if we know that he is the Lord, if we know who is the sovereign, then we can trust even when our sight is very dim. So we see now in verse 3, God once again, he, de he declares this to Moses. He, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, Lord, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. These four letters in English are Y-H-W-H. It's called the tetragrammaton. It's just a big word that means four letters. And these four letters are translated into English as Yahweh or Jehovah. But what this name means is self-existent or eternal. It's a hard concept for us to wrap our mind around. But it doesn't speak of what God does. It speaks of who God is. In his very essence, in his very nature, he is the self-existent, eternal God, the sovereign, the creator. And this doesn't define what God does, but it defines who God is. And we see from the scripture that this name for God was used to describe God in events that occurred before Moses encountered the burning bush. Now this verse, Exodus chapter 6 verse 3, is kind of a mysterious verse. There's various meanings because God says very plainly right here, by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I was not known to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob by my name, Lord. Yet Abraham used that name when he says, the Lord will provide. So on the mountain with Isaac... Abraham says, the Lord will provide. Yahweh, Jehovah, will provide. Some say, well, we know Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, so maybe Moses wrote that using that name. But 
But it very plainly says there in the inspired scripture that, that Abraham said, the Lord will provide. And we don't see that just in Genesis twenty two fourteen. We see it in Genesis 12, 7, and 8, where it says Jehovah appeared to Abraham. Genesis three eighteen says Abram built an altar to Jehovah. Genesis five seventeen God reveals himself to Abraham to, to Abram as the Lord, as Yahweh, as this self-existent, eternal God. And we see it in other parts of the scripture. But God says something here that's interesting. He says, Moses, I am revealing myself to you in a way that I have not revealed myself to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I believe that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew this name of God, but I don't believe that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had a revelation of God, or we could say it like this, God did not reveal himself to them in the same way that he revealed himself to Moses. And what we see here is, for instance, in Genesis twenty-two fourteen, when Abraham says, the Lord will provide, Abraham was honoring and celebrating what God had done. And we also know that God established the, the covenant with Abraham and he made him go through all of these things of cutting these animals and walking between these animals and he sees this fire and Abraham has these experiences with the Lord and so does, so does Jacob. He sees the ladder and the angels going up and down and he wrestles with God and has these really amazing experiences and God gives to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob the promise and the covenant. And he tells them not only what he promises for them, but for their descendants and even for the world. But when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, God immediately says, and he reveals his name to Moses. Moses says, who are you? Who shall I say sent me? And God says, I am and now God is saying to Moses, Moses, you are asking why you have been sent. You are asking why I am doing this. Here's what you need to know. I am the Lord. I am the self-existent. I am the eternal. There is no other God beside me. And what we see in this verse is that the Lord God is not defined by what he does, but by who he is. God was known to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for his provision and his promise. He is the God who called them and established his covenant with them and made glorious promises concerning them and all the world. And just as God is not ultimately known for what he does, but by who he is, this is also true for us as well. It's easy for us to fall into this idea that God knows us, God approves of us, God accepts us based on what we do. Because that's how we deal with people. Because we're sinful creatures. Jesus very clearly in John 13, 34 gave a new commandment. In fact, he said a new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you. So you are to love one another. Let me ask you church, how has God loved you? 
The answer is he's loved you unconditionally. When did God love you? After you demonstrated your love to him? We think that. There's a large segment of Christianity that basically teaches that God loves you because you love him, but that is contrary to the scripture. The scripture very clearly teaches, 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. You don't, God doesn't love you because you love him. You love God because God first loved you. And what we see is that we want to be a people that define things and make things acceptable and make each other acceptable based on what we do instead of first coming to this first principle of who God is. And God does what he does because he is who he is. And we are not truly defined by what we do, but we are truly defined by who we are. It is who we are that ultimately defines our life and what we do. Remember, you've heard me say it a lot. My dog barks because she's a dog. She didn't become a dog after she started barking. She started barking because she's always been a dog. You didn't become a sinner after you started sinning. You were always a sinner, even in your birth, and you started sinning because that's who you are. And the solution to the problem is not you behaving differently. The solution to the problem is that you have to become another kind other than what you are. And let me ask you, human, how are you going to do that? The answer is you can't do that. You cannot make yourself other than what you are. Now the world wants us to think we can. The world wants us to believe that I can be born a boy, and if I choose to be a girl, I can be, just because it's what I choose. Not only is that ridiculous, that violates everything that God has revealed in his word to us. But what has man done? Man has said, I don't care what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't mean anything to me. If I want to be a girl, I'm going to be a girl. If I want to be a boy, I'm going to be a boy. I don't care what my biology says. I don't care what my chromosomes, I don't care what my genetics say. It's what I want. And what we're saying today is that man has the power to change his kind. Man has the power to change his very nature and become something that God did not create him to be. Man is continuing to step into the place and make himself God. And man will continue to find out that that does not work. Jesus said it like this, Nicodemus, if you want to even see the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. And Nicodemus was smart enough to know, how is that possible? Can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb? How, how, how? Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is the flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The same God who caused you to be born the first time is the same God who will cause you to be born again. The same God who allowed you to be born the first time into sin is the same God who will cause you to be born again into 
life and righteousness, a new creation, a very new species of being. Your very nature, your very essence and existence is new. Man can't do that for himself. Only God can do that. And this is why knowing who God is is so very important. Because if we don't know who God is, we will not know who we are. And if you don't know who you are, if you don't understand that your identity is either found in Christ or not, you will not understand your salvation. You will not understand the righteousness and the holiness that God has imparted and imputed to you in Jesus Christ. And you will go through life mistakenly believing that you can change yourself. Now, it may never look like you men wanting to become women or you women wanting to become men, but it will absolutely manifest itself in a way of thinking that I can somehow be good enough for God, that I can somehow do enough good things that God is surely going to look beyond my bad things. And I live this life that is a lie. Because it's not about what I do. It's about who I am. And it's about who I am because ultimately it's about who God is. And because God is who he is, and he is other than I am, I can have no relationship with him because he is altogether different than me. And the only way that I can have any hope of becoming one with him, in relationship with him, is for me to become as he is. And I can't give myself that, and you can't give yourself that. Only God can give that to you. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians that it is the gift of God. It's what we call salvation or eternal life. So just as God is not ultimately known for what he does, we are not ultimately known by what we do, but who we are. If we are light in the Lord, then we will walk as children of light. If we are darkness, then no matter how good-looking our deeds are, we are still darkness and void of the life of God that is only given to us in Jesus Christ. It is not what we are outwardly, but who we are inwardly. And that is determined by our nature. And when we are born again, we are given a new nature, a new heart, a new life in Christ. It is not the what that has changed. It is the who that has changed. Now think about this. Israel now for over 400 years has been in Egypt. And they have known the Lord as the God who commenced the covenant with his people through his appearance to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now God would make himself known not only as the God of the covenant, but the God who is Redeemer. He came to redeem his people. And the glory and the majesty of God will shine even more brightly in the redemption of his people than it did in the commencement of the covenant. And what God wanted Israel to understand is that I am much more than what I have done. I am much more than what I have promised. The true nature and character of God as Redeemer will be on full display. 
God will make himself known to Moses and his people in a way that will not only demonstrate what he can do, but God will reveal who he is. God will make known in stark detail his nature and character and perfect holiness and righteousness in a way that will define not only God, but it will define his people. And God will reveal himself, make himself manifest in a way that was not known to Abraham, to Isaac, or to Jacob. Though they knew his name, they did not experience the fullness of all that name conveyed. Now here's the good news for us. We can read about the name of God. We can study the name of God. We can go through the Bible and see all the names of God. There's lots of names of God revealed to us in the scripture. But I can know all those names. I can memorize those names. I can know what those names mean and what they imply. But if I do not know him, all that's just a bunch of information that doesn't mean anything. If I do not experience the reality of who he is, all the knowledge in the world I could gain will do nothing but puff me up. So we see God continuously as Moses is asking why and what and how. God just keeps responding with, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Tell the children of Israel, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, I am the Lord. Moses, do you know that I am the Lord? God declared who he is and what he has done. And we see this in verses 2 through 5. And God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. There it is. There's his name. And he says, I appeared to Abraham. God appears to us. I have established my covenant with them. God, it is God who establishes. Abraham didn't say, hey God, by the way, I'd like to establish a covenant with you. No, God came to Abraham God called Abram, and God established the covenant with Abram. God changed his name to Abraham, father of many nations. He says, I have heard the groaning. God hears. I have remembered my covenant 400 years after Jacob and his family come into Egypt. God says, I have remembered my covenant it's apparent that Israel has forgot. And here's what we can be assured of, church. God remembers even when we forget. And then God did something else. God declared who he is. Once again, he declared his name. He declared who he is. He declared what he will do. And then he again declared, affirmed, his name. So here's what we see from verses 6 through 8, like bookends, God gives Moses his name, and then he fills in all the things that he's going to do, and then he puts the book in at the end of that thing, and, and between who God is, is what God will do. So God says this, I am the Lord. I will bring you out. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. I will take you as my people. God takes us. We don't take God. You need to understand this, church. God takes us. We don't take God. 
He said, I will take you as my people. I will be your God. Why? Because I just took you as my people. That's why I'm going to be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. I will take you. You will be my people. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. I will bring you into the land. I will give it to you. Then he declares again, I am the Lord. God is telling Moses this. God is saying, Moses, go to the children of Israel and tell them this. I am the Lord. I will bring you. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. I will take you. I will be your God. You shall know that I am. I will bring you out. I will give it to you. I am the Lord. Go and tell them who I am. This picture of what God promises to do by bringing Israel into the land is the reality of God taking us and bringing us into Christ and giving us all things in him. The promised land was a type and a shadow of the real land of promise, who is Christ. The land that flows with milk and honey was not a physical land. Well, it is, it was, but it spoke of a more real reality, who is Christ. Christ is the land that flows with milk and honey. What God has brought us into is greater than a piece of geography. God has brought us into his son, into the Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us living water. We'll never thirst again. He has given us the bread that will give us eternal life. We should never hunger again. And if we do hunger and thirst, his promise is that he will fill us. Where does he fill us? He fills us in his son. His son is the land of promise. His son is what all of this spoke of. It's what all of this pointed to. And if you are in Christ, you have come into the promise. You have received more than you can imagine. Because your natural mind and my natural mind cannot comprehend the things that God has given to us in Christ. But just because you and I can't comprehend them, just because you and I can't imagine them, just because you and I don't know exactly what they are, don't think that they're not real because they are more real than the very earth we're standing on right now. It's more real than the universe that we're spinning around in right now. Because heaven and earth may pass away, but God's word will never pass away. Well, who is God's word? And what is God's word? Oh, it's so much more than this Bible right here. Because John says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You have been brought into the word, Jesus Christ. You have been given the life of the word, Jesus Christ. And God's promise, the very promise Jesus gave us is that heaven and earth can pass away, but I will, and my word will never pass away. And if you are in Christ, that means you too will never pass away. And this is why, church, it is so important for us to know who God is. God knows the heart condition of his people. The children of Israel did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage, verse 9 says. That might have been a surprise to Moses, but it was not a surprise to God. Obedience to God is never determined by what or why. It's never determined by the what or why of our circumstance. 
Obedience has everything to do with who God is and who we are. God's plan is not hinging on our obedience. Please don't believe that it is, because it's not. If God's plan was hinging on our obedience, God's plan would have fallen apart long ago. God's plan is not hinging on our obedience, it's hinging on God. Who God is has determined what he has eternally purposed for good and for glory. God moves us into his plan and purpose, whether willingly in obedience or reluctantly in rebellion. We see this perfectly right here with the children of Israel. God is moving them into, their, into his plan, and they are very reluctant in their movement. But God says, that's all right, I know how to deal with reluctant people. God can give us a heart to choose obedience. He can leave us in hard hearts that choose rebellion. He can move us into his will, whether in our willingness or in our resistance. He can allow us to remain willing rebels with hard hearts, or he can take us as his children and give us new hearts. The children of Israel did not heed Moses or the Lord, but that did not stop God's plan or God's purpose. For God knew their hearts before he sent Moses to them. And God knew that most of one generation would die in the wilderness with hard hearts, while another generation would be raised up and enter into the promised land through faith. We are not called to change people or situations. We are called to obey God. Now we see this in verses 10 through 13 and the last verses of this chapter, 28 through 30. Here's what we see with Moses. Moses kept looking at himself. He was focused on his own perceived limitations. That's why he's saying, God, how, how is anyone going to listen to me? I'm just a man of uncircumcised lips. The children of Israel won't even listen to me. Why, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Moses kept looking at himself. He was focused on his own limitations. He was focused on the hardness and the rebellion of the people in a Pharaoh. He was not focused on God. He was paying attention to the wrong things, which is something that we are often very guilty of ourselves. Moses was aware of who the people were. He was well aware of who Pharaoh was, but he was not considering who God is. And this is why God kept reminding him, I am the Lord. Why God? I'll tell you, Moses, I am the Lord. But God, what? I'll tell you again, Moses, I am the Lord. In other words, Moses, you're focused on the wrong things. You need to be focused on me and who I am and not on these other things that seem to be distracting you. And this is why God continued to declare his name to Moses, because Moses was not yet focused and aware of who God is. He was discouraged and unable to see how he could succeed in what God was commanding him to do. And all he could see were obstacles or obstacles, whichever way you want to look at them. He was not looking beyond these obstacles to the God who not only stood above, listen, God stood above the obstacles. Not only that, God is the one who ordained the obstacles to be in their place. You think obstacles just get there apart from God? You think God's just sleeping on his throne? It's like, wow, man, God must not have seen that. Man, God must not have seen that coming. God, what were you doing when that happened? We really need to think through some of our theology sometimes. 
He was not looking beyond the obstacles to the God who not only stood above them, but ordained that those obstacles be in their place. It was not up to Moses to change the hearts of the people because only God can change hearts. It was not up to Moses to change the situation and the circumstance. It was up to Moses to obey what God had called him to do in leading a rebellious people out of their bondage and into the deliverance that only God could bring. We want to change situations and circumstances very often times. Anybody a fixer? I call people like that fixers. You're a fixer. You want to fix everybody and everything around you. And you will run yourself ragged and basically kill yourself trying to fix everybody and fix all the circumstances and all the situations. You can't do that. You are never meant to do that. You can't fix people. You can't fix situations and circumstances because you're not the Lord of those things. God is the Lord of those things. What you need to know is you need to know who you are and who God is. And if we know who we are and we know who God is, then we're going to stop trying to do God's job. And we're going to trust that God knows how to do what he wants done. So yeah, but, but God doesn't do it the way I think it should be done. Well, that's our problem. That's why I'm not God and you're not God. So let God be God and trust him to be the Lord, the eternal, self-sufficient one who's already known everything before it ever it existed. In our obedience, we can rest assured that God will bring about the change he desires, the change that he has ordained for his plan, for his purpose, and for his glory. 1 Samuel 15, 22, when Saul took it upon himself because he thought God was late and it was time for battle, he said, hey man, we need to sacrifice before we go into battle because, you know, if we sacrifice to God, if we give him the sacrifice, he's going to give us victory because, you know, God likes when we sacrifice. Where's the prophet? Man, that guy is always late. Well, look, we don't need the prophet. We know what God likes. Just bring the bull. Let's sacrifice it to God and let's go to battle. So Saul, the king, takes it upon himself. He sacrifices the bull to the Lord, goes to battle and wins a glorious victory. Mm, don't think so. Utterly defeated. The prophet comes. What have you done? Well, you were late and we needed to go to battle. And I just thought, you know, it'd be okay for us just to offer the sacrifice. How'd that work out for you? Well, we got beat pretty bad. And here's the words of Samuel to Saul. Saul ultimately lost his kingdom. It was ripped from him because of his disobedience, because he persisted in doing what he thought was right instead of obeying God. And here's what Samuel says to Saul, and here's what God says to us all. To obey is better than sacrifice. I'll just do this thing for God, and then, man, God's going to really bless me. No, to obey is better than sacrifice. Do what God has commanded you to do. Well, how do I know? Well, the best place to start is right here. He'll, he's told us right here. He's revealed to us in his word. 
If you ever wonder how I am to obey God, start reading his word and find out who he is. To obey is better than sacrifice. God invites us to his table because he has brought about a change. He has made a way for us by the blood of Jesus to come into his presence by grace through faith. We didn't do that ourselves. God did that. We didn't make the way. God made the way. It was a way that we could not find ourselves or travel ourselves. He made a way where there was no way. And that way is by the blood of Christ. So I want to invite you to come to the table of the Lord. Take his bread and take the cup. Come trusting Jesus. Come trusting not only what he has done, but come trusting who he is. Well, your charge today is the charge that God gives to all of us to know him. As God has given you the grace to know him, you are charged by God himself to know that he is the Lord. God has revealed himself to you not only as the great I am, but now as the living word that became flesh and dwelt among us. God has revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ, and he has made it possible for us to know him even as we are known by him. I charge you to seek him, to seek to know him more and more day by day, and as you are beholding him, the promise of the scripture is that we will be transformed into the very same image.